0: as a star It's going to be the battle of counter transition versus on ball in that european champions cup final uh leinster versus la rochelle running it back from last year uh, in what should be just another fascinating game between two really good teams Um, And I think, I suppose, look, the two best teams in Europe, when you just look at performance and we take the last game into account where they both won the semi-final and won it really, really um, easily, I would say, in both cases. Um, One a little bit more easy than the other. Um, I, I thought that La Rochelle were more dominant overall, but I just think that Exeter were nowhere near the level of a team really contesting that should be contesting, maybe, this level of the tournament at this stage. I think it just goes to show the the gap between those three, and um, a weird one, because I was writing an article um, from last Friday looking at the the scrum, and I mentioned a bit at the start about how styles make fights. That's a, the, the gimmick that I opened the article with. And um, I was speaking about how, when you understand about styles making fights, that there are just very little really between the very top teams you know to a certain level I would say there's a little bit more actually between the top teams in Europe this year but when you consider elite performance there's we're not talking about a massive difference one way or the other but there are style differences that all teams have that mean that one team will be a really bad matchup for another like for example Toulouse have consistently beaten La Rochelle over the last number of years La Rochelle have won once or twice I think it is but when it comes to Toulouse versus La Rochelle uh, Toulouse have won almost every time you're looking at then Toulouse versus Leinster Leinster have consistently beaten Toulouse over the last number of years and again did so dominantly at the weekend so if you look at if Toulouse can beat La Rochelle constantly and Leinster can beat Toulouse pretty constantly it should stand to reason that Leinster should also beat La Rochelle fairly consistently but they haven't They've really struggled with La Rochelle and they did in the semi-final the year before uh, they, they struggled in the final last year and uh, they're going to have another goal this year but I would say it's far from a uh, foregone conclusion that Leinster are going to basically do what they did to, um, to to lose in this final now look they could they're at home but again I just think that it's a really good example of how styles make fights in this game and I, I think that that's probably the purest example that you'll see the way that those teams uh, interact with each other. Certainly over the last number of years. But first, we'll get into the 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 main game that I watched, which was uh, Toulouse versus uh, Leinster in the Viva Stadium. Now, I didn't watch this fully live. I was driving around the place. I meant to do a kind of a shit housing tweet where I'm just like, you know, on a beach. You know, doing anything but looking at rugby. But I forgot my phone. I forgot my phone. I was trying to copy the uh, the Johnny Sexton uh, trick from the uh, Monster versus South Africa game, but I fucking forgot my phone on the beach. But anyway, that was a really fascinating game coming in. My thoughts on it were that it was going to be much closer than what it ended up being in the end, and I think for a period it had the potential to go down to the wire, but. There were a number of of, uh, of little turning points, some some big turning points as well that kind of turned around the game from, um, geez, I suppose something that could have gone down into being an all-time classic to the end, um, but you know, not it, it ended up not going that way. Eventually, I think that that Leinster's performance, first of all, was remi- it reminded me actually of New Zealand. Reminded me of a kind of peak prime all back all blacks from um, the, I suppose from around twenty thirteen to twenty sixteen, in that I don't think that Leinster were like absolutely dominant as in that they were like far and away, one hundred percent better team than Toulouse. They were what like they were they were much better on the day and deserve your win of course, but to me it was the that perfect illustration of how. They have their system and they have their their players within their system so finely tuned and everybody is so comfortable in running the game plan that's obviously a really good game plan full of really good players that's really successful that level of certainty and that level of belief that you have it's so hard to crack and like leinster's game when you drill down to the basics of it They make very few mistakes. The mistakes that they do make are typically in non-critical areas. But when you make mistakes, when you make uh, errors in either your handling or your discipline, as Toulouse did, they kill you. And that always reminded me of the challenge of facing the All Blacks. Because... When I was, like, I was kind of upskilling myself in and around 2018, 2019, even before that, 2017, and I was speaking to a guy who had worked at test level. I'll talk about him someday. But he was of the opinion that when you are looking to try to beat the All Blacks, it's a bit like um, fighting a boss in a certain video game. Like, you know, where you have to get everything right. And if you make a small mistake, that pushes you all the way back to the start. There are no save points when it comes to the All Blacks. With Leinster, they are at that level and they're in that conversation at this level of the game. Uh, I think Ireland, I think at the moment as well, you could say are at the same level, although I think we've only become a sort of a the I the, 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 I won't say peaked, but you know, you can get to the level that Ireland are at at the moment with the Grand Slam, that when you make mistakes, either in your own prep or your own in-game performance, they kill you. And that's exactly what happened in this game. Like, I think I looked somewhere and I saw a stat about this game that outside of the yellow card periods, <laughs> uh, Toulouse actually won this game twenty two thirteen, which is mental. But that's how dangerous Leinster were when they had that man advantage. And it was, honestly, like, l- looking at it, It's it's really impressive to look at because what Leinster do and what they did here is no mistake rugby when it counts there's always going to be there's going to be a knock on or a turnover somewhere you know that, that'll always be the case but they have such a low threshold for when the opposition makes a mistake or miscalculates or makes an error they swarm all over you and like to lose here I think we're, we're actually doing relatively well they started poor enough um, they were making a few mistakes defensively early on I think they conceded that three points early on but once they got possession back um, on the next play they looked actually really impressive they looked physical they looked dominant and they scored a try through to, Peter Peter Aki and I was just like okay look that's a really good response now what they have to do is just kind of ride out what's going to be coming from Leinster and this is where not making mistakes comes into play And, like, I thought they did relatively well at that point. It stayed 7-3 for a while, then it went 7-6. And, look, I think you live with the three-pointers when it comes to Leinster, right? You just have to stop them scoring tries. And the early decisive moment here was when uh, Thomas Ramo got that yellow card. And, look, I think from that point, Leinster had a close-range position and... When they get into those positions normally, they tend not to make mistakes. They didn't in this, ish, in, in this instance. They scored one try almost straight away and uh, then another. And then I think Ramo got back onto the field right as um, Leinster kicked deep into the 22 again. And uh, from there, look, you know what happens. They get their lineup rolling. And uh, from that point, Toulouse were, I think, what, 20 points back? And there's nowhere to go, really, at that stage. Uh, It was incredibly difficult for them to win um, and to come back. Like, they did score a try right towards the end of the half. um, Which, you know, I I think you look at the, I suppose, the complexion of the game. I suppose going into the second half, it made it a 13-point game. Uh, I suppose there was a, a world where... Toulouse start the second half really well, they bring it back to under a one score game, then you're talking about maybe beginning to pressurize Leinster and, and get the game going from there. But um Toulouse blue early opportunities in the second half where they had momentum, they had opportunities to get a little bit of goal forward, where you think if they score here, that you know, there's a like that puts a massive amount of pressure on Leinster to try to um ...to try to... Uh, ...you know... ...push on... ...and, and get the win... ...because um, like... ...that 13 point lead... ...is a ropey enough one... ...especially as you start... ...transitioning to the bench... ...that's where... ...things can start... ...can start to get... ...a little bit unpredictable... ...but then... ...the killer... ...point in the game... ...for me... ...which was the yellow card... ...to Nettie... Um, ...which... ...that gave Leinster... ...a big buff... ...on the scoreline... Uh, ...that yellow card period... ...they scored... two thri- uh, two tries... ...and that was that all over uh, This uh, Toulouse scored a try in the last minute that added a bit of, fucking, uh, bit of a buff to the scoreboard but that yellow card for, uh, on Netty, given the position where it was also and also the, the the scenario like Toulouse had actually got that ball all the way down into the Leinster 22 for a line out instead of that it was brought all the way back for a penalty and a yellow card Leinster kicked it into the 5 metre line you know what happened from there so that is was where the game went and I think that there's no way to look at this game and say that one I think that Leinster certainly got a rub of the green with the referee with Wayne Barnes some of the decisions early on in the game went in their favour like for example the the penalty that they kicked right before Ramo uh, came back on the field um with the uh, I think where Charles Nattai won a, a breakdown penalty that to me was a penalty to Toulouse that you know, I I think that was it. Barassi or one of the wingers anyway came in and made the ruck there. There was no like, so that was hands in the ruck from Charles Natay for me. But you get that sometimes. Like I I saw some. There were some conversations that were in my mentions and stuff, and I saw them in somewhere in the secret club where people were going about how Oh Wayne Barnes is a nightmare referee for Leinster. Absolutely not. I would say that's a mad reading of of uh, Wayne Barnes, and I, I think that. Like, he suits what Leinster does because he doesn't want to referee too much. But, like, in those moments, they got one or two rubs of the green where I think you could you could argue that like that penalty goes the other way. Who knows? Like, you know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a big moment in the game. But I think in games of this scale, they're all big moments. But sometimes that happens. You get a rub of the green in a game off the referee. It has happened to Munster this season. It has happened against Munster. It's happened, it'll happen against Leinster at some point as well. But that's kind of part of the game I don't think it's unfair to mention that there was a few decisions went went Leinster's way that's kind of home advantage you expect that you know I think that you look at Munster we lost to Toulouse in Thoma Park earlier in the year but one or two decisions went our way there as well that kind of got us close and I think you could make the same argument for the the game in, um, in the Stad Ernst as well but you know that's Again, that's just part of the game. So I think that's fair enough to say. I think also it's fair enough to say that Toulouse were really off from what we expect. And I think that there's a number of different things you could look at as to what caused this. First of all, their reshuffle in the back line after the injury to their winger was ridiculous. Or it was the outside centre. Ridiculous. Uh, They brought on uh, Peter... They brought on Peter... um, was it uh, uh, Grau on, on the 14th minute for Barassi and like honest to God the poor guy had a disaster of a game for Toulouse and they left him on for the entire game now they went to the point where they brought Grau on and moved Dupont to 10 and Mac into the midfield which I just I cannot work out the logic of doing that. Unless uh Retier wasn't fit. Now he did come on with, with twelve minutes to go for uh for uh, uh Maia. but like you look at Retier has played in the wing he's a scrum half as well so if you even wanted to do that you could bring on Retier. Um they had uh on the like on, on the wing they had um what's his name? The is it Berea or whatever it is like he, he like he has played in midfield also, so you could kind of reshuffle there and keep your generational nine and ten at nine and ten. Like grow like. I in look, players come in and sometimes they come in and off the, off the bench and they have superb games. I think it was it was the racing had a late replacement where Mashino had to pull out against Munster and led de font a few years ago, and their young scrum half comes in and he's fucking outstanding. Has a great game, but I think in in Grow's case here, like he was directly involved in two or three Leinster tries almost straight away in that 10 minute period because like he ended up having to defend on the edge spaces where Dupont typically defends. They had to reshuffle a lot of their defensive structure. Now like, and you, but then you look at Grow as well where he made a lot of mistakes on ball as well. So it was just a disaster of a decision to keep him on for the entire game when like you could have just brought on Retier, for example, put him on the wing, moved your winger into midfield maybe they were uncomfortable with that maybe they just didn't like the idea of moving around too much from what they had had schemed before but I feel with a guy like Antoine Dupont to move him away from where he is the best player in the world at the moment to a position where he's touching the ball less and where he is unfamiliar like that to me is just mad I just don't understand it and it's like that gives you an idea of the sort of certainty that to lose do not have for some reason where like you, you would look at a situation like that and go would you see Leinster doing that?" And the answer is no like there's always a risk of a 6-2 split right where you you have a 6-two split you're going to have to make a a, a, a a mistake somewhere if you get an injury early in the back line there, the possibility of making a mistake is huge but like they had Retier in the bench he has played scrum half he can play in the wing and they have a winger who can play in midfield already on the field could you not just make that adjustment there and go look it happens these injuries happen that's that instead of actively harming yourself for the rest of the game and weakening the impact of your best player and like the best player in the world I feel for I, I just don't understand it it's tough to look at I was looking at it there today and I watched it again before recording could not understand how they made that decision in the moment. And like I said, it shows a lack of certainty that Hugo Mola, I feel, dramatically and drastically overthinks his games with Leinster to the point where I feel, looking at this, that they felt the biggest issue last year was their conditioning coming into the game, which I agreed with, to be fair. But it felt like they didn't have a... ...a means to understand why they are good... ...even this season when Munster have played them... ...like the weather conditions meant that they played off-ball... ...in those two games... ...both in Tolman Park and in Stadard and Swell-on. ...they were so difficult to play against... ...and then they, it upped the value of their transition game... ...with the likes of DuPont and the likes of Antemak... ...and all their, like, their, 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 their talented outside backs... ...on top of the huge physicality they had in their back... ...in this game it's almost like they took those strengths away from themselves... And then, on the, in the 14th minute, made life infinitely easier for Leinster to defend by moving Dupont away from the, the point of the ruck where he's most dangerous. It it helped Leinster choke out the Toulouse attack. And it just I, I can't work out why Hugo Mola decided to do that when Retier was on the bench. And look, if he's not on the bench, or if he's on the bench and he's not fit, why is he there? Especially in a game like this. I know they have injuries, but... Yeah, that was bizarre. It was a really, really weird moment. And I, I think that Leinster must have been in up in the coaching box. The likes of Leo Collin and Lancaster looking at that and kind of going, this is fucking brilliant. Like they couldn't have planned that better. Unbelievable. But absolutely none of that works unless you're an incredibly good, incredibly well coached, well drilled team with very little of what you'd call weaknesses, Right. Like, from a Leinster perspective, this game went perfectly. Um, everything that you could have wanted in your favour went in your favour. Like, Toulouse ended up playing so much more rugby. Like, Leinster typically are a very, very fit team. What they don't want typically, though, is to be attacking for long stretches. They don't they don't play that way. Um, like, you look at their kicking here. They kick the ball 34 times for an average of 33 metres per kick. This is counter transition. What we're talking about, they kick it long, they chase well, they hem you into in, into your area of the field, and they make you play from there. What Toulouse did for the most part was their box kick profile actually went way back. They kicked 26 times for an average of 31.96. Not that much of a difference in theory, but when you consider looking back over the game, very few of the kicks that uh, Toulouse did were, I'd say, of a kind of a counter transition nature. I think they were trying to bring the scrum into the game. They were trying to to box kick a bit to, I suppose, narrow the game up from a a Leinster perspective. But, you know, none of that works unless you've got guys who are well able to, um, you know, complete the role that they've been given. And honestly, like, Leinster had a lot of turnovers here, right? Like, uh, uh, Toulouse won 17 turnovers, which, I mean, isn't ideal. Leinster have 36 missed tackles out of 189. Again, look, not all missed tackles are created equally, but you, you, again, wouldn't want a number like that. I think Leinster can play much better than this. I think that to lose with the way that they approach the game, both for their prep um, and with regards to how they manage the game with circumstances, and then just their own performance, nowhere near the level. And like, if you come in at like if you come at Leinster like that, they'll beat you every fucking time and it's just you know like honestly like the the, the way that Toulouse ended up playing this game just p- would play straight into what Leinster would have schemed like they had a negative pass per carry ratio did Toulouse that'll show you where this game went from their perspective they had way too much possession it was way too easy for, for Leinster to defend for the key parts of the game And the small windows of opportunity that Toulouse needed to actually pull this game back in their favour once they went behind, they missed out in those moments. And, you know, again, there was those big talking points, but like you look at Ross Byrne, for example, I didn't feel he was outstanding in this game, but what he is outstanding at is understanding Leinster's scheme and hitting the exact notes he has to hit on the thing which is most important to Leinster, which is your work off the strike play on the line out. Ross Byrne is so good at running those plays. He understands those plays down to the ground. He runs at a similar pace as Sexton. So he knows where he's supposed to be. Everybody knows where he's supposed to be. And they're able to work their entire gimmick off the back of that and make good, easy gains. Like again, look, you look at the typical metrics that we'd expect from Leinster when they lose 93% line out completion. That is not a losing Leinster performance. Okay? You could look at the at the, the rock completion 95%. You'd need that against Leinster. You'd need to have that around 95%, maybe a bit below. But when you look at that line-out completion, 93%, you're not going to get near them like that. Toulouse is contesting at the line-out. Even their own line-out was sloppy, not what it needed to be. Their own mall wasn't what it needed to be. It just felt that, like I mentioned there earlier, that I wasn't quite sure what the philosophy of Toulouse was coming into the game, other than what we typically expect from Toulouse. There was no adjustment... To Leinster... There was no... Like... Because yeah look... You, you want to play your game... But like... I'm not sure if Hugo Mullen knows... What this Toulouse's best game actually is... Like I'm not sure he understands... Why they got to this stage... And it was... Like they're capable of scoring fantastic tries... But even if you look back at that... That that Sharks final, They were under serious pressure at times in that game... But... Honestly, I just felt that their their overall approach to the game just did not reflect the strengths of Leinster and did not approach it with the sort of the, I suppose, the criteria that I associate with beating Leinster, which is if you're going to be an on-ball team, you have to be able to you know retain the ball in advance. They did that at times, but I just feel that the mistakes and, and the, the errors that they made... Throughout the game, they weren't able to get across the fact that they had slightly more possession, slightly more territory. That comes down to missed opportunities, but also, but also yellow cards, which I think were one of the biggest parts of this game. With uh, Thomas Ramo getting that yellow card and um, just kind of distorting the game in those moments. And like, I think that for the most part, like we just look at at discipline overall. This is where you can kind of look at it and kind of go. Like, there was two yellow card periods, right? They conceded nine penalties to to Leinster's eight. But the penalties they conceded were critical. The the ones you can't really concede at all. And I think that's something that... When you are... In an away game situation like that... Against this Leinster team... You can't do it while you're down to... 14 men for 20 minutes. That you just can't do it. Especially at the key points of the game where they did. Leinster smelled blood in those moments. They had line-out position to work... To lose weren't able to get on or, or, or attack or disrupt their possession in any real way you won't beat them like that you won't beat this leinster you won't beat this leinster team with 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 those uh statistics with those with those metrics and like i i think that like when you have ross byrne knowing the scheme being a, a system fit like it shows the, the power of system rugby which is like i think it's without question now just how powerful system rugby actually is Leinster are the ultimate system team and like guys like Caelan Doris are so important because he's able to play multiple roles really well you know guys like Jack Conan had a great game today but like the moments where he had those those big moments for example like the the try he scored for the, the, the show and go that's where you want Jack Conan right and that's the sort of thing where if you give those moments to Leinster they are normally so incredibly efficient what I didn't like about Toulouse was is that they were they were they, they were neither massively on ball or as effectively off ball as what they would have needed to be to beat this Leinster team. That's what frustrated me and what kind of turned this game from being, you know, potentially an absolute kind cup classic into just a bit of a damn squid, you know, f- f- a damn squid, <laughs> a damp squib from a um a, a neutrals perspective. Um, but yeah, no, like I think that like Leinster more than deserved their win. Uh, my player of the game, Gibson Park, thought he was outstanding. His kicking was really good. His management of the rock was really good. His pass accuracy was superb. Like you know, you look at the amount of, of of possessions that he had, and again, this is not the first time this has happened. That when, for, whenever uh, Gibson Park has come up against uh, Antoine Dupont, it has been Gibson Park who has looked the the better player in the moment. Which I don't think reflects the reality of the players overall, but. I think that it gives you an idea of I suppose the effectiveness of whenever Leinster or or Ireland play France where you know Gibson Park is involved the power of a better system like the framework that Leinster have that they're working so so good and like it'll give you an idea here that that, uh, Ross Byrne had a great game but didn't carry the ball into contact once going in the metrics that I'm looking at here which is mad, really, when you think about it. Like, his pass-per-carry ratio is massive. 16 passes, no carries whatsoever, as as they count them here. So, like, that'll give you an idea as to, like, how effective he... he like, is in, the set-piece was in particular. Because the vast majority of that action came on the set-piece. Toulouse gave them too many set-pieces and didn't disrupt them enough. That was a key part of this game. But, like, I thought that... Um, Porter was very good. I thought Dan Sheehan was excellent. Um Ross Maloney at the end of a very good game. James Ryan very physical, very attritional, a real nuisance to play against like his work at the at the mall in particular defensively was very very good offensively as well, very good. Um Caelan Doris again I thought was good. I wouldn't say he was outstanding or anything, but like it was a good Leinster performance. Charles Natai had some really big plays as well, which was um you know great to see for a fella back after 4 months. Um but like this was not a vintage Leinster performance. The scoreline would suggest that that's the case, but for me, no. Like I don't think that there was anything I would say here that say that. Look, well, look, this is the best Leinster can play. Far from it. I think they're they've got way more levels in, than than this. And the biggest factor about this game was to loses in discipline, their inability to hold on to the ball, but their like they're, 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 like their their game management, their player management. Um, honestly, this is the sort of performance that for me, if Toulouse don't win the top 14 this year, could see questions starting to spring up about Hugo Mola, his management of these last two games. You could you could excuse the first one last year, but this one was poor, really poor. And um, yeah, look, I think that's, like for Leinster, outstanding win. But the most satisfying thing about it is, is that they can absolutely play better than this. Um, but like the biggest factor for me was to lose in discipline, the yellow card periods and, you know, I I think some really efficient rugby from Leinster, which again is the most all black like quality that you can say about them, which for me is a massive compliment. That when other teams are making mistakes and imploding, Leinster rarely ever do that. And like that's the, the most crusaders like, the most all black like compliment you can give this team is that they do not fluctuate too much from what wins games and ultimately gets them to a position where they can win look to win trophies like they will be disrupted by a team who hurts them at the line out and prevents them because that's one of the best areas of their game and is able to retain the ball effectively against them for long periods Uh Toulouse weren't able to do that yesterday la rochelle maybe they will but who knows Um, I got some questions from this uh, I I put out a post yesterday on Patreon just to get some questions from uh, from listeners this first one is from Joe Kennedy does the performance prove that it's more about the system than the individual class of each player no sexton, Henshaw are low and the backline still looks so dangerous is this what Ireland are hoping for at the World Cup where if someone uh, is out the next man just slots into the system and they don't necessarily have to be a world class player for the team to perform to the optimum levels Oh, I would 100% agree like Leinster's system is, and this is not something that's easily done, you know, like this is something that's been building layer upon layer upon layer of complexity over the course of the last six, seven years under Lancaster and Cullen, that consistency of coaching, no, no, there's been some guys pop in and out, but they have been the consistent voices there over that time, that's priceless, that's what everybody wants, you know, they want to have that You know, settled people at the top end of the club from a coaching perspective or a management perspective they set the culture of the team and they're able to I suppose almost like bridge different generations of players coming in so like at this stage there are guys who are coming up through the academy who are playing well understood roles that they're able to drill and train week to week that they've seen week to week for years upon years that's incredibly valuable and I think that you're right there in that Ireland are trying to duplicate that very system in that what Leinster play week to week is more or less what Ireland do game to game so that ability to be able to have guys step in for the most part and look sometimes there there are players who step in and, and they won't be able to do the job for you like I mean you look at Grow for uh, Toulouse for example who stepped in and just had a nightmare of a game like to an extent that's part of a salary cap team where Antoine DuPont is not there for a hot dog and a handshake I can tell you that he's getting paid a fortune and like for to lose, it makes no sense for them to be playing, uh, or for them to be paying Antoine Dupont as much money as they are, and then to be paying, you know, a, a, an equally as good or, or even half as good player as his backup, because they have to exist under a salary cap that does not exist for Leinster. So you, I mean, one example of this would be, you know, Robbie Henshaw is out injured, and Leinster put in Charles Naitai, a guy who would have been a core starter for a very good Leon team last year that can't happen in a salary cap environment now that's just the reality of the game it is what it is but that's the that's the reality of it so like what Leinster have is a deep team but that would not be of value unless the system that they have was not as well embedded where the roots of that go very very deep which means that like if you know Lancaster is leaving it into the season maybe Sexton two, there's nothing to say that um, what Leinster are doing will fall off in that period, because those roots go so deep, and that that is that that system and structure is so embedded, like it will only take bad decisions or wrong decisions, which again will seem like good decisions at the time, that will undo this in the longer term. So, like as you said, there, uh, Jimmy O'Brien comes in, and he knows what's expected of him in that spot. Like he knows at the set piece, what he what lines he's supposed to run as part of that team. So he knows what Ross Byrne will do. He knows where he's supposed to be. So he's able to be effective off the strike off the strike play in a set piece. Like I wouldn't say Leinster and open play were, were outstanding. I don't think they were. I think I felt I felt that Ross Byrne at times looked a little bit hurried, a little bit under pressure. But like, if you give Leinster sixteen lineouts and you only can only disrupt them at one, that's going to be fifteen times that you have to face an incredibly complex and effective strike play machine which again they know their roles inside out they're one of the best set piece teams in the game and like once they get into your 22 the chance of you conceding a penalty are pretty big what happens then? they kick it down the line or they kick for three and you know how dangerous they are at the uh, off the mall from five metres I know everybody is but Leinster are very efficient at that area of the game that's just the way to, to lose against these guys to be honest and I think that uh, to lose if they're capable of learning from this which I felt they would have looking at the France game I'm not sure if they are I'm not sure if they're capable of learning as to, underst- uh, to understand as to why they lost this and it's not just because you know key players them didn't perform or they had bad luck with injuries or the referee was against them they are factors not against them but you know they are they're, they're factors in the game getting on the wrong side of Wayne Barnes but that's not why they lost they lost because their structure is just fundamentally when it comes to a big game like this against Leinster I mean Who's to say would they have beaten La Rochelle yesterday, like or on, on on Saturday? I mean, who knows? But like to beat Leinster, you absolutely won't do it playing like that. And that's the the big surprise for me is that there was no learning because I felt that they would have been taking huge instruction from that France game. And the guy I was speaking to was saying that that they did, you know, make reference to that. But fuck it, there was no sign of that on the field, absolutely none. Their approach was just. I don't know, like trying to be a little bit of everything. Like almost that they understood the pragmatism that they would need to win the game. But then also kept trying to overplay as well, which again, shows a bit of lack of coaching discipline, I suppose. And I suppose like, because for me, Hugo Mola, this is a very damaging performance from him. Not just because of the way Toulouse played, but because of his own management of the game internally. That's, uh, yeah, it's going to be a tough one. Keane. O. Oh, uh, oh, Melor says, I really didn't see the result coming for Leinster versus Toulouse, but it does seem to be running in a pattern of late. So, despite Toulouse having seemingly many of the ingredients that make Larochelle a bad match for Leinster, powerful carrying locks, strong roll competition, etc. Why do Leinster, conversely, seem a bad match for Toulouse? Because, like, counter transition, it shouldn't work against Toulouse. Like, because I, I think what Toulouse want to be is a team that when you kick the ball to them, they don't give it back but if you look at their back five build that's a defensive back five build they don't really have a power forward there who can do the sort of high volume carrying and high impact ball carrying that they need they've got emmanuel Matthew, they've got rory arnold they're dangerous guys off nine but i'm looking at that team and i'm looking at that midfield from the start and i'm not seeing massive amounts of of like of of you know of power forward ball carrying or you know like strike wing for like is in they seem like they're a team based for narrow rugby on both sides of the ball but you look at Antoine DuPont and Roman Antimac; they're capable of making and I suppose extending the lines of their play and I think a lot of what Toulouse do well comes on transition where those rules don't apply so like I, I think what Toulouse bring against La Rochelle is is that against La Rochelle they tighten up against La Rochelle they will be a more high volume kicking team and because La Rochelle are an on-ball team when you kick the ball to La Rochelle they hang on to it or they kick short and challenge in the air and then look to try and play off that and they're very very good at that Toulouse on the other hand aren't (laughs) like Toulouse are not a good on-ball team based on what I've seen just over the last couple of games like from when I watched uh, against Munster even they were better without the ball and when they play without the ball They're incredibly difficult to play against because when you try to transition against them, they're very good on transition D. And then they punish you off nine. Like I was full sure they would look to try and keep the ball in field as much as possible in this game to try and put pressure under Ross Byrne. I spoke about it before the game to expose him as a playmaker and get access to him where they're making him carry. He got through this game without having to make one carry. Looking at the metrics I'm looking at here, the PCR website. So I'm sure he carried the ball once, but like as in, that is not a good return from a team like this. Like That that to me shows a muddled approach to the game that, that honestly shows why they lose to Leinster. You cannot be confused or you cannot be riddled with doubt coming in to play Leinster. You have to know what you're doing and be very, very good at it to beat them in a first class game like this and to lose don't, I don't think. Uh, S. Smith says I mentioned it yesterday in a secret club if you watch every time Leinster are calling a big play from a ruck as uh, Gibson Park is picking the ball another forward barrels in uh, it knocks their players back and it'll also pause in the back lines close close down for a split second works really well they also do this side swiping tackle in particular in the 122 to slow the opposition ball instead of a big front hit they seem to go side hit but as they're making the tackle their body swings around like a garden strimmer blocking off any support lines from collecting a pop or securing the ruck it happens too often to be coincidental. I just found it interesting. It seems to be another evolution. Yeah, no, look, they, like, they're very good at doing that about sweeping around and, you know, delaying the clean out and especially because they're a team who don't really contest a breakdown all that much outside of, you know, one or two. If there, if there's a window, obviously they go for it, but um, they do that just to slow the possession and give them as much chance as possible to get as many effective defenders in line as possible but like they they are very good at blocking they're very good at like disrupting like churning the defensive line with you know blind runners coming in and preventing guys from progressing across the field which creates little gaps so like I've spoken about it before but if you look at a machine for example that makes biscuits right the biscuits come down out of a chute onto a conveyor belt Uh, they will come down in a regular pattern so that the gap is the same between all of those biscuits as they come down what Leinster are very good at is blocking that, right? So they block the chute so that the biscuits can come out. There's a, there's a bigger space. So when they do block it and take their hand away, there's a bigger space between that biscuit and the biscuit that just came out. That's where you can run guys through. That's where you can make, you, you can force compressions that way. And they do it with really good blocking lines, really good lines of running as well, which kind of are option lines, block lines, but they're very, very good at that. It's one of the best things they do, especially off set piece. At, uh, on the uh, on phase play, I think what most teams would be looking to do now with Leinster is to hem them on the first, second or third phase of set piece. To whatever you do, do not concede. Don't, you know, lose 10, 20 metres to them off the set piece. Get them into settled phase play and I think you'd be comfortable enough then. But, those first phase, second phase, third phase, on set, on set piece, that's where Leinster are. They're most effective because they're the, the phases where you can do as much pre-planning before the game as possible. That's why they're so good at that element of the game. They're working it relentlessly, but they've got really good ideas. And again, the 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 fellows who they're playing with, these ideas go deep. So they haven't had to bring in three or four different philosophies over the last couple of years. They have had one since 2015, 2016, and maybe 2016, 2017. And that is such a huge advantage to becoming an effectively an effective winning team with the academy input and throughput that they have. So, yeah, thanks very much for that question as well. Colin O'Reilly says, What level of impact do you think DuPont moving to 10 had in the result? Massive. It looked like they schemed it with DuPont having a fairly unusual role. Do you think they would have gone to this setup at some point in the game, regardless of injury? James Ryan was absolutely sensational in that game. Larmoor short why he isn't in 23 for these games usually and won't go to the World Cup. I could see Russell getting a chance to pass him uh, over the coming weeks. Yeah, no, I didn't feel Larmor was great myself, um, but didn't have to be. You know, like there were like Leinster's wingers in this game were again functional, yeah, and that's all they needed to be. But like, if you look, remember last year, um, in that quarterfinal Munster versus Toulouse, they actually moved Dupont to ten in that game as well, late in the game. So perhaps it was. But honestly, like, and I would I would ask this of Hugo Mola: If it's such a good idea, why do you never, or very, very, very rarely, start Dupont at ten? when you're not under pressure for injuries or late in the game. If it's that good an idea, I would say that moving your best player and the best scrum half in the world and best player in the world, in my opinion, away from the position where he touches the ball the most is mad in this game. Again, it's it's, it's a massive part of of Toulouse not looking like Toulouse because you take away one of their best support runners. He's running from a different area. He's touching the ball less. He's not a massive kicking option from ten either. Like I know, like as in he he can do it. But like as in he's mostly kicking from like you're you're best at what you do most of the time, you know? Like I I don't know why you would do that. Move that guy away from there to get an objectively worse player on the field in his position. Genuinely, I, I, I don't get it at all. I, I can't think of any logical reason why you would do it unless they were worried about Retier being injured. And just didn't want to you know, maybe disrupt their midfield too much I, I don't know it's, it's baffling genuinely uh, PJ McGovern says 1. Lara did a great job of slowing down Exeter's rock ball some may say cynically the defence and attack was super keep ball alive in offence Yet yeah, they were an on-ball team uh, and it was evident on several several occasions it will be a different challenge for Leinster if uh, Lara hold their discipline what are your thoughts and can they prevail? And number 2. Is a system that allows a team to play the majority of their games in a premier European competition in their home city giving unfair advantage? 3. The Porter incident on Saturday with the TMO interaction and does the yellow card he should have received as a result impact the outcome? Uh, On your last question, I would say yes. If anything that keeps Andrew Porter on the field for the entire game and doesn't take him off for 10 minutes in the key area of the game, for me is an advantage. Now, I've watched it back. That to me is at least a yellow card. I think that if this game isn't played in the Aviva, I think that probably is a yellow card because it gets replayed. And again, I know that BT Sports are running this, but when you're in the home stadium of the team where you are, it's only natural that you end up deferring to what's there, especially when you've got no skin in the game yourself. This is the biggest area of the game where I feel that needs to be tightened up, which is the power of the TMO, but the ability of the TMO. to like They can only work on what they're shown. So if they're not watching it live and they don't see something live like they can't go back and scrub the footage like they're waiting for it to be shown to them. So that in itself is a black spot for rugby that I feel that we could we could really we could shore up um by having the TMOs be they're specifically TMOs only but they have ability to produce and rewind and have multiple access to angles themselves and be able to find the footage themselves and not have to worry about well what's going to show up on the TMO like no maybe they're going to do that with the whole you know TMO bunker thing if they do that and that's what they're at where they're actually going to be looking through all the footage themselves and they're not waiting for a home um, TV producer or somebody like that to show them what happened I think that they'll be in a much better position but what we're seeing at the moment is uh, if there's foul play or even marginal foul play is put up on the TV then like the, the home crowd will, will see it, they'll start booing, the referee will see it on the TV again and he'll go, OK, well, what's that? What's going on here? That, to me, is kind of outside the realm of the game. But, like for me, Porter should have got a yellow card, I feel, looking at that that challenge again. It was off the ball, it was a tip tackle. Um, Anywhere else other than the Aviva, I think he gets the yellow card there. Um, and as you were saying there, with uh, a system that allows the team to play the majority of their games at home, yeah, look, I think 100% needs to be fixed um, because, look, the final was always where it was going to be, right? With the way that they've run Europe over the last couple of seasons, um, Leinster only really have to win two or three games to be guaranteed home games all the way to the final. Now, last year, they had to go and play away in France, which has its own uh, challenges as well. But I, I feel that it does need to change because it just makes for... You're looking at the same game every year, do you know? And there's an element of boredom that comes with it where... I think this season it was inevitable that it was going to be one of the three contesting the final be it Leinster Toulouse or um, or La Rochelle there is a lack of, of predictability and I think that the nature of the pools I think adds to that where you know the same guys are qualifying in the same manner you know and, and plus teams are sending weakened sides to play Toulouse for the most part or they're making business decisions early so all of a sudden the same teams are winning and topping the tables at the same rate they always do which means that Leinster finished number one seeds, I think, which meant that they were going to be home. Any game they won, the next one was going to be at home. So that's the nature of the tournament. Personally, I think it would look a lot better if they introduced the first and second leg. That means you get, you know, a, little, a, a lack of predictability. You could have an open draw then, which means that once you qualify for the knockouts, there'll be a double-legged game for a quarter final. we'll say, maybe the semi final. And This is adding an extra game, I know that, but like, to a certain extent, I think the current system Leinster didn't dictate that the final was going to be in Dublin this year. So like their performances earned them a home round of sixteen, a home quarterfinal, a home semi final. Like at least before there was an element of randomness where you would be drawn out of a hat. So there was an element of randomness there that adds a challenge in itself. Um but yeah, I know it's 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 certainly I think it needs to change, but I think it's exaggerated this year because Leinster have played more games in the Aviva than they have played away from the Aviva in this year's tournament, which I don't think that a credible tournament can have that with a team in the final but only playing two games outside of Dublin all year. That, to me, I think that needs to change, but... Like I said, it could have been anybody. Like, if, if, you know, the game was... The final was to be held in in Parky cueve for example, or Thoma Park, for example, then, you know, Munster theoretically could have had every single game bar two at home as well. So, look, it, it, it is what it is, but I feel it does need to change. As for La Rochelle, like, I've only watched, I'd say, a first kind of skim run in that game. Um, La Rochelle are an excellent on-ball team. Their ability, like, like the whole, you know, KBA, keep ball alive. They make it very difficult to defend against them because you're looking at so many different pictures. They have so many different heavy runners who can retain the ball simply, but you look at their structures outside that as well. They're capable of of extending the line of, I think Munster actually are, are going to a similar enough style, believe it or not, I think we're going to, like we're trying to do a sort of a KBA style game as well because La Rochelle kicked the ball seven times total against Exeter. Seven times they only kicked the ball. Like, that'll give you an idea as to their approach in the game, first of all, and how radically different it is from counter-transition. So, like, they're looking to, when you kick the ball to them, they hang on to it and they will run through it and they have the heavy machinery to plough through you. And, like, that's going to be the big challenge in this game against Leinster, where Leinster are counter-transition where they kick the ball a lot. La Rochelle typically don't kick the ball at all. And, or relatively speaking. So that's where this is going to be a massive uh, style clash. And where I think... Leinster have struggled against La Rochelle is that Leinster's game gives you the ball but relies on you giving it, to the, giving it back to them in a better position La Rochelle don't do that like they are very reluctant to give you the ball back so that in itself is going to be the fascinating battle in this final and I think it's I look, looking at the entirety of the competition up until now I think the two most deserving teams but like I said this is a case of Styles makes fight because I think if it was the final between Toulouse and La Rochelle I would actually back Toulouse to win which is just bizarre but that's that's how it is Joe McDonald says which side has improved more this season Leinster or La Rochelle and why um, I think Leinster have improved but I haven't seen anything this season that to me has kind of kicked them up 11 from where they were last year which was good like they were very very good last year as well But I feel that, given the way the Toulouse performed, I know it's kind of like, you know, kind of a goalpost moving. I don't mean it to sound that way, but I just felt that Leinster, I'm not sure if they've added a whole ton more to their game. They're just a few percentage points better now again. Bear in mind, they lost that final in the last minute with one of the last plays of the game. Um, I think La Rochelle this year are doing a few things differently. They've brought in a few different guys um they've had more fluctuations in performance this year really so like I mean a team like La Rochelle shouldn't have to go as late into the game against Gloucester in the round of 16 or the quarter final whatever it was to to beat them that's kind of what makes me kind of a little bit like concerned a small bit about La Rochelle but I feel that once the occasion gets bigger for them that's where they get bigger I I would say to answer your question I think Leinster Are better. I think with the guys they've added in, they have more depth. So they don't necessarily have to worry too much about what happens with Henshaw is out injured. Who do we put in ahead of them? I feel that Leinster, they fundamentally don't trust the guys that are beneath Henshaw in midfield. Like you could have easily gone last year and and not signed Charlie Natai. But he's a very good player. They spent that money knowing that like they have a central contract with, with Henshaw and he's on X number, you know, four, 500k a year. Charlie Natai is not there for cheap. So like they're making that like that move specifically for games just like this where if Henshaw is missing, I don't think they want to rely too much on, on uh, you know, Kieran Frawley or Jamie Osborne or whatever else to start a big game like this. Um, and I think they were justified with how well Charles Natai performed. Um, the guys they've added, I think, gives them a little bit more and some of the young fellows who've come through are giving them a little bit better as well. The likes of uh, Jimmy O'Brien. Um, but yeah, massive challenge in the final. I think Leinster are the better team compared to last season. They're, they have improved more. And I think La Rochelle, I think their top level is better than Leinster. But it's on the day. Will they have the guys available that they need? Both sides have some big, big games coming up as well, so you can only really deal with that game the week of. Which I think Ronald O'Gara was speaking about after the game too, where he said you can only really talk about Leinster like the week of the game because who's going to be available? Like Leinster have already spoken about rotating some guys for this game against the Sharks in the quarterfinal of the the, the you know the the URC. There's a risk with that, I feel, but they feel comfortable enough that they can win that game without them. So. Like, they will be looking... Because if you're look, you want to win everything. You want to win the URC. You want to win Europe. But I think they understand also that if they end up getting an injury to, we'll say, Andrew Porter, Dan Sheehan at the moment, or James Ryan, they're in big trouble. If the, if it, Ross Byrne picks up an injury now, they're in big trouble. They understand that. So they will try to limit the workload because they want that fifth star. I think if you were to put it an either-or and I know Leinster wouldn't deal with an either-or in this situation but if they could pick either the URC or a 5th star they would prioritise a 5th star I feel maybe I'm wrong but I I feel that that's what they would do if it meant that they would have to maybe rotate for a semi-final I think they would 100% do that if it meant that they got their top guys in the field but it all depends on what their own read of the fellas uh, internally is like do they have a few injuries to, is Andrew, like what's Andrew Porter? Is he, do you know, is he maybe at 75%, for example, where he's enough to play and play well, but like is in that one knock here or there, could take him out. Is is that like, only they will know that. So that'll dictate what their, um, what their structure and what their, what their team selection is going to be like for the next number of weeks. Aiden says, what were your thoughts on the Josh van Fleer incident? To me, it was the yellow card to van der Fleer as well. I can see why, uh, why you might give to lose a guy. But he caused it. Yeah. No. On that one. I feel. A couple of different things. Right. My first thought is. Is that. Neti, That's a nothing. Rock entry. From Josh Vanderfleer. After the first one. Like. There's no benefit to that there. I've heard. heard I heard somebody going up. Oh. He's about to collapse the rock. Or whatever else. All the rest of the lads. Behind him are bound. So the first time. That uh, Vanderfleer comes running in. Uh, Netty kind of braces. And kind of shoves him off. But, like, even if he kind of comes away, like, they're still bound at the rock. like. So, the guys behind him are bound. It's a, it's a nothing play, right? So, for NetEye, if you, you know, brace van der Fleer and he comes in and he kind of staggers back and he's going to come running in at you again, that's a nothing play. You don't need to dip. You don't need to rise as high as you've done. Like, that to me is a yellow card for stupidity as much as anything else. Because it's a nothing play. Like... He only ends up falling over because you're like you took the bait on him. On the other hand, I feel that Josh Vanderfleer and this is the case of any player in any sport when they're hurt, they're not going down clutching the part of their body that's hurt unless it's like a knee injury or some fucking thing like that. So when I saw the replay of Josh going down with like grabbing his neck and he's like ah, ah like that to me I'm just like come on dude, like you don't need to fucking do that. Like, he got a yellow card for his team, you know, because I, I feel that the reaction... Sometimes you have to do it to get the TMOs involved, which, again, I think shows the level of TMO and refereeing in the game at the moment. But, like, I felt that that reaction was a bit over the top for me because you can see how he reacts in the first place. And, like, you, you'll see these guys when they get hurt and they're fucking steamed. Like, they, they're, like they, they're not going down clutching their fucking neck or whatever else. So, look, I didn't I didn't like that all that too much. But at the same time, look, it's a pro game. So, like... Vander Fleer if he gets that contact from your man and it, it looks the way it looks he's every right to go down really do you know like and, and like it's not a dive do you know because like as in he's not simulating injury because like he would have got a belt off him but I felt that what we saw was to draw the attention of the of the TMO or to make it look to the referee that this has happened or whatever else so like I think it's possible looking at the first one that there's no arms coming in from Vander Fleer you could look at the yellow card for that as well but realistically that's never going to happen so like I think for Netai. He just has to like just smarten up a bit because like if he's coming in on a nothing ball like that, he's trying to bait a reaction out of you. And you gave it to him. Mistake. Cannot make those mistakes. And like at that point, Toulouse had Leinster pinned into their twenty two up the other end of the field. There were only two scores back, like only one of the bit score really. It just was a, a, a moment of madness from Nettie, really, and it was well earned, I would say, by Josh Vanderfleer. But like, yeah, look, the reaction, some people are unhappy with it, you know, and again, I, I can completely get that as well, because it looks like simulation, because you have the guy going down, like, clutching his neck, and it's just like, oh, <laughs> like, that's one thing, but it's just, yeah, no, I think that, um, yeah, no, I think it's it's a, it's it's a weird one, because like, people don't associate that with Linster or Josh van der Fleer, but like, at the same time, it's a pro game, like. They're going to go out there and do their best to win the game for their team. Uh, as as an incident, look, it's I think it decided the game or, or or put the game in a position where Leinster or Toulouse rather could not come back. But I think that's just the way of the game as it is. Um and I, I think that Van der Fleer, great player. I think that Nettie will be a smarter player understanding what happened here. So look for me, Josh Van der Fleer knows what he's doing there to an extent. And he understand that there's a, a an option there. I don't think he dived. I think he got the contact. I think it hurt. But I don't think that his actual reaction, if there was no referees there, would be going down clutching his neck or his face. You know, you know what I mean? Like, you know, when some fella gets a belt in an actual real fight, they're not going down like holding their like oh my 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 nose or whatever else. Like you're you're fucking hot. You're going out there trying to trying to fight the guy. So that, that to me was my, my take on it. Um, I, I don't think there's anybody wrong here, so to speak. I think it was a um, a tough incident a to referee, but um, yeah, it seemed soft on first watching. But the more I watched it, the more I was thinking that Neto just needs to fucking smarten up and realize the position he's in, and that he doesn't need to do that, and uh, yeah, lost the game for his team. Well, I didn't lose the game for his team, but you know what I mean. That moment ended up losing the game for Toulouse, I believe, or put it so far out of reach for them that it was almost impossible. So yeah thank you very much for listening in thank you very much for being a Tier K subscriber uh, we've got main event monster coming back this week with a playoff game in Scotstune so content coming on that I've got a uh, five euro tier scrum um, article out today so have a look at that as well looking at Stephen Archer and I suppose monster scrummaging over the last two weeks in South Africa thank you very much for joining me I will talk to you again very very soon